This episode of The Adventure Jogger brought to you by Nicole Pence, Candy Bates, Ashley Schrang, Stephen Teak, and Josh Behrman. You are going to meet someone incredible on this episode of The Adventure Jogger. Her name is Dana Baxley. And imagine having a goal in your life that would enter your life in a very strange way early on, forgetting about that goal race, and then later in life, picking it up, finding your way into that goal race, and having that dream, having that, that dream of a buckle on, on your belt, you miss out on that dream by 1.5 miles. How would you handle that sort of disappointment? Well, hopefully you'll handle it like Dana, who has an incredible attitude about not only life and racing, but of coming up so close, but just so short of her dream. Her coach, Andy Jones Wilkins, joins her on this episode of The Adventure Jogger. The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. Welcome to another episode of The Adventure Jogger, and I am a firm believer that sometimes, actually most of the time, the best stories in ultra running happen in the middle and the back of the pack. One of my favorite ultra running stories of the last couple years, you can find this on a back episode. Uh, go back and look at Keep Trail Running Weird Awards episode one. The story was from Joseph Bears, who was running Western States and his epic struggle to get to the finish line. And he came up short one and a half miles. He was pulled at Roby Point, but his attitude and the way he dealt with that not reaching his goal is just, please, please, please go listen to that back episode. Joseph Bears is an incredible person, an incredible runner, and just an incredible story. Another incredible story happening at the back of the pack at Western States. A very similar result to Joseph Bears, but you know what? Sometimes you fall short of the goal. Another one of those runners who got pulled at 98.5, 1.5 miles away from the greatest buckle in all of ultra running. But she lives to tell another day, and we're going to get her story on this episode of The Adventure Jogger. Please welcome from Kentucky, Dana Baxley. Hello, Dana. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. It's nice to have you on, and you you brought your coach with you. I don't know if anyone's familiar with this guy. He is uh, probably the, I call him the big brother of ultra running. Andy Jones Wilkins is once again on The Adventure Jogger. Welcome, Andy. Andy's muted. Hang on, Andy. We got to unmute you. Uh, good, to, good to see you, Ryan. Glad to be back on the podcast. And Dana, glad to see you uh, up and moving around. Likewise. Uh, I think it's fair to say we all know now that Andy Jones Wilkins does not have a money back guarantee on his training plan to finish Western States. 
with with all due respect, Ryan, the failure was all mine and my bad decisions <laughs> and my eight hours of, of vomiting of my intestines. So it was not EJW's fault. Okay. Well, let's let's go back in time just a bit, Dana, before we get to that big day and that story. Um, sure. You're from Kentucky. Frankfurt is, is where you call home right now. Kind That's of, right. Give us your, your running story. How did you get sure. into the world of not only running, but ultra running as well? Yeah, great question. Um, So I've always loved to run ever since I can remember. And I think my love for running was really born out of a deep and visceral hatred for team sports. (laughs) Um, I was super uncoordinated as a kid. I had these bow legs and these orthotic shoes, but I somehow found myself in basketball and soccer And so my solace was when the team would get in trouble and have to run. I loved it because I could blend and there were no like balls coming my way. And um, generally, if the balls did come my way, my first goal was to divest of them as soon as possible to a member, usually of the opposite team. (laughs) So I was super popular in a team sports environment because I was so good at it. Um, So, no, I've always loved to run, always run just kind of recreationally. And uh, learning about Western states that it existed was definitely a core childhood memory of mine. Um, You want to you want to hear the story of how I learned the Western states? Please. Okay. so I was probably 10, maybe 11, maybe 12. And um, before cell phones, you remember when people would have those gross baskets of magazines and bathrooms Mm -hmm. like people? That's not a thing anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I remember I was a little kid and for my birthday, my sister and I, we would always get highlights magazine and runner's world because we would just run club track or whatever. And, um, runner's world was way over my head. I mean, I didn't care about like carb ratios at that age, (laughs) but I would flip through and look through all the photos in the magazine. And I remember sitting in this childhood bathroom and the walls were peeling yellow because my dad would chain smoke cigarettes and hide from the family in there. And there was a picture of the Western States belt buckle on the second to last page. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, people can run 100 miles. And I was so awestruck. And it just burrowed basically burrowed into my brain and was always there i always wanted to run western states ever since i was little so you're 10 years old you see this buckle picture in the back of runner's world magazine it's probably yeah. andy's buckle it's probably one of andy's it probably buckles. was probably wasn't you know little did little did andy know there was a crotch shot of himself in runner's world magazine all those years ago showing off that buckle that's amazing because, and I don't want to give away your age because, you know, you never tell, but th- this was pre-boom. I mean, this was before anybody was really talking about ultras in the way that they talk about now. I mean, this was still the the crazy niche sport that people didn't believe existed. They were like, nah, people don't run 100 miles to the mountains. That's, that's ridiculous. And you're right. a kid and something, what was it about that buckle that just grabbed your attention as a kid it's something that you would hold on to for uh, again i'm not giving away your age a couple of years past that we'll just go with oh yeah so the year was probably 1990 1991 Uh or something like that but it wasn't the buckle i mean the buckle was cool but it was more this idea that you know the 5k cross-country course that seemed daunting at the time that that was nothing and that people were capable of so much more and that 
you know, what it must feel like to actually run a hundred miles and get this on this horse trail. I think it told the story of Gordon Ainsley or something like yeah. that. So, yeah. Yeah. So you're a kid at this point. You're, so it was on my bucket list. Yeah. It's been on, been on my bucket list pretty much my whole life. That's, Western States. that's an incredible way of, of discovering Western States. And that's probably the most unique story I've heard uh, for, for discovering that race. So you're a kid at this point. You're not running ultras as a kid. Yeah. When did when did you start running ultras? Pretty much 2021. <laughs> so a long, so quite a bit. You you put that in the bank for 30 yeah. years and you hung on yeah. to that. Well, <clears throat> to be fair, I've always loved to run, but until 2021, I was a 300 to 500 mile a year girl. Mm-hmm. I would run to blow off steam from work. Um, I would train for a half marathon or I, I'd run a couple 50 Ks, but it would be a training block. And then I'd get sucked into my other kind of life goals. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I spent my 20s and 30s chasing everything else on that bucket list and kind of checking it all off. And then when COVID hit, like my work travel really rained down and I was just thinking about kind of what I wanted to accomplish. And I thought, man, this is my chance to spend some time really training for ultras and try and begin this seven year process or whatever of getting drawn in the Western States lottery. Um, Now on the side, I didn't realize at the time I thought running ultras would be this um, big time suck in my life. Like it's not that it's additive. It's just an amazing addition to my life. Mm -hmm. I wish I had started really doing it in earnest before that, but, but yeah. So you started in 2021. I'm doing the math. That means were you one of those people, Dana, that got into Western States on one ticket? No, (laughs) it's, it's worse than it's worse than that. Yeah, it's luckier than that. Um, so so I started investing in this dream of mine. Yeah. I think I want to run Western States. It's going to be a 10-year plan. I don't want to be older than dirt when I get drunk because I might DNF at Roby Point. Oh, wait, that already happened. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> so <clears throat> I signed up for my first 50-miler in 2021, Big Turtle. And then I signed up for my first qualifier, which was Burning River 100, mm-hmm. which I didn't really want to run 100, but it was one of the only races that had spots. Yeah. And um, during that time in 2021, the COVID stimulus checks hit and I got a partial stimulus check. And because of really unconventional decisions in my life, like living in a van down by the river and buying a sawmill and building a house without a loan, like I didn't need the money. And so I thought, hey, I'll invest in my own dreams. And I sent it into the raffle. And, and also uh, the raffle benefits the Western States Foundation, which does incredible trail work and research. So I thought, hey, if I get drawn in the raffle, awesome. If not, it's going to an incredible cause. And um, lo and behold, I think there were 30 or 40,000 tickets in the raffle. And I think I bought, was it like 200 tickets or something? So it was lucky. It was very lucky. <laughs> so you got pulled on the raffle to get into Western yeah. States. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, she did. (laughs) Wow. That's that's amazing. By the way, there was so much to unpack in that last minute of what you said about building a house near a sawmill. And did did you build your own home? Yeah, we logged all this wood. It took us six years and uh, 
basically it was a second job. I don't think I could do it again, but, um, but yeah, I love our house. It's awesome. So you get a stimulus check. Most people were like, ah, you know, I'm going to buy something stupid with it. You know, like a, like a new gadget or something. You give it all to the Western States organization and they draw your oh, name. Fish. It was a raffle. It benefits the organization. Don't right. make me out like I'm some philanthropic <laughs> <laughs> do-gooder. I was hoping to get drawn, for sure. So, so when you get your name drawn, you, you have to have that qualifier. You've got Burning River done. Is that No, I, I didn't have the qualifier. Done. Oh, <laughs> So you didn't. Right. So, so you got she, got. she got to remember. You can. You can get. You can get picked in the raffle, and then you have to get a qualifier. Aha! Uh-huh. Yes. So you have basically a year to get a qualifier before you can run Western States. I think it was only a few months, right? No, her, her, her name got picked at last year's race. Yes. You know how they picked tickets at yes. the race. Yep. So she had like a year to train for the race, but she had to get a qualifier before and- that. It was okay. three months, I think, because isn't it November to November, AJW? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have three months at this point to get a qualifier. Yeah. So I had no business running. You can't make this shit up. I I literally had no business running Burning River 100. I decided I was going to go from rabid ultra running fan following all the greats and running 300 to 500 miles a year to committing to the dream in January of 2021. I get drawn and I have to run my qualifier in July. I literally drug myself through that thing. I don't I don't know how I qualify it really. <laughs> so, so you 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 struggle you struggle through Burning River. You know, you gotta get this qualifier. Is that when you decide to get a coach and reach out to Andy Jones Wilkins? Yeah, well I knew Western States was such a big deal. I knew I wanted a coach that was awesome and talented. I had no idea AJW would be my coach. I mean, I reached out through the the online form to CTS because I just really liked their approach and their science-based training. Um, And AJW, you know, reached out to me and I, I just was floored because I mean, this guy coaches, you know, Brittany Peterson and all these grades. And then there's amateur hour from Kentucky who I'm like, you want me to run? What? Or is this meant for me? Is this workout meant for me? Did you mix up uh, Brittany's and did you mix up my, my workouts with someone else's? Is this one of your pro workouts? She did. She did actually say that a couple of times. And I was like, no, no, I didn't. (laughs) Is this real? Oh my gosh. But no, let's just say AJW did not recruit me. I just somehow lucked into getting with my coach because like the talent level here is man. I mean, yeah. So, so AJW, let me ask you, because you've coached a lot of athletes. You are known to many and, and loved by many as Mr. Western States. You've got the thousand mile buckle. You know, I mean, uh, God, one of my other favorite stories. I said earlier in the podcast that the best stories usually happen at the back of the pack. That is true, except for your second place Western States finish. That to me is one of the greatest, my, my favorite stories. That story you gave on the podcast, The Ballad of Andy Jones Wilkins, you can find that in the back episodes as well. That was like the gift that I, I, I you, you gave me the greatest gift when you told that story. 
because I mean it's just one of my favorites of all time. Um, that that incredible day well, for I, you. And I listen. I, I have to tell you, I listen to the ballad of Andy Jones Wilkins like three times a week when I'm trying to have trouble falling asleep. Because that was that was a really fun podcast to do. But but uh, I mean, when Dana when Dana called me and she told me this story about getting in in the raffle and having 100 miler and 150 miler, I was like, okay, this is something I want to do. Like she was a hundred percent committed. She lives in Kentucky. She has, has had this lifelong dream to run Western States. And it's like, grab, grab the brass ring. Let's do it. And so, I mean, we just started, I mean, it was, it was December, January and had to build, you know, a training plan. She had already been signed up for Zion hundred K which is a you know which she was going to have to travel to and it was probably going to be hot and it was going to be a good you know good like long distance but but aside from that we kind of were it was a blank slate and so we just kind of jumped into it and um and and just kind of took it kind of one week at a time and it was it was a lot of fun you know at that stage to just think okay well oh my god went from her first 50 like less than a year ago to going to the, the 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 pretty much the Super Bowl of ultras, and and I have to somehow take responsibility for all this. So then I start asking her questions like about her job and about the her other things in her life, and and then it's like, well, I've got this that I have to do, and this work trip, and this like she works for the Dana works for the Nature Conservancy, so yeah. it's like it's a big job and. Sometimes they go out in the field and they spend like four days, I don't know, hugging trees and stuff, but it's pretty, it's pretty exhausting. And and so, and so I was like, well, what am I going to do with this? You know, (laughs) but, uh, but, but like moving from there to then getting to know one another and building the relationship and like, like spreading my love of the Western States to Dana was just, I mean, it just became such a like a perfect thing for this world we're living in these days. Um, and so that that really once we got to like January, February, we we're like off and running. So, Andy, what I want to know is as someone who coaches elite athletes to run Western states, how does your approach differ when you've got someone whose sole job basically is to be a be a runner and that can dedicate so much time to it? to someone that has a job, has responsibilities, doesn't have that time. How does your coaching approach differ between those two types of athletes? The, the, well, first of all, the goal for this, the goal for both is, is the same to finish the race, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to, to, to do the best that you can on that day with what that day gives you and what you've trained for. So it doesn't matter I mean, I'm going to back up for a second. I had eight athletes in Western States this year. And so it was really difficult for me to manage. And I, I said to all of them, look, you're going to see me once in during the day. You're going to see me at Michigan Bluff, mile 55. Mm-hmm. And then if with any luck, you'll see me at the finish line. And and that's all I could. That's all I could offer. Right. Right. And just seeing eight athletes through Michigan Bluff. I mean, Ryan, you've been there. 
It's kind of the crucible of the race. It's mile 55. You've come through two of the three hottest canyons. You're going to, I mean, you're going to see like guts pouring out of people at that point. And, and once I was able to do that and, and Dana, I saw Dana through there. She was in good shape coming through there. Okay. Maybe not great shape, um, but she was in okay shape. You know, we, we, we knew it was going to be a, 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 a slog for the next 45, but, but what I do for all eight of those, Ryan, going through Michigan Bluff is day, take what the day gives you. Maybe it's not going to be your, your top 10 day, or maybe you're not going to break 24, or maybe you're, you know, you're going to be on the, on the golden hour bubble. But take what the day gives you and move forward from here. And so I don't differ actually much from the uh, uh, high level, you know, 18 hour Western States finishers down to the 30 hour Western States finishers in what I expect of them, both in training and on race day. I mean, I think more of it comes down to what they expect of themselves and what Mm -hmm. they know of themselves. I mean, all joking aside about I mean, Dana did literally say when I sent her one workout, did you mean this for Brittany? Because it, yeah, she actually said that. And I was like, no, 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 I didn't. This is this is like your workout. And so, I mean, there is finishing that race is hard. I don't care who you are. I did it 10 times, but it was hard every single time. And and that's that's the beauty of it. That's what's gonna keep Dana's fire lit you know, for the next several years as she, as she bides her time to get in again and, and finish what she started. But like that to me is why I love the race, why I love coaching athletes in the race. And, and why I think that if you're, if you're a coach and you're trying to get people to achieve a goal, you're going to meet them where they are. And then you want to try to get them to exceed not only their expectations of them, but your expectations of them. And I say Dana did that. And um, I mean, even though she ended up a mile and a half short, I think she comes away knowing that she did that. And you've heard the Burning River story. I mean, she she was barely running anything in 2020. 300 miles a year, I got to tell you, is not going to do it in in training for Western States. And I, I think she probably ran five years worth of mileage from January to the race and and got there ready to go. How do you, though? build someone up like that, Andy, because you've got 300 miles a year for, for so many years. How do you take someone from that mileage to what they need to do Western States and do it safely? Well, I can't take anybody there, but Dana is a good example is that she had an attitude. She, she had a, she had a, a, a buckle attitude, Mm -hmm. right? It was just, and that's the only way I can describe it. And she still has it. It was like, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And it wasn't like, tell me what to do. I'll do it no matter what. I'll, right. I'll you know, because she had bad, you know, she had good days and bad days. There was time that work got in the way. You know, Zion wasn't a picnic. You know, there were times where she was like, oh my God, I walked the last 20 miles of that. How, how many miles can I possibly walk and still get this done? You know, but attitude speaks volumes. And I think what a coach can do is take someone with a, good attitude and make it better and Dana's in that situation and then take someone with a bad attitude and make it okay um and I and I and I had kind of both of those in this little batch of eight athletes that I had running Western States but Dana got as far as she did on you know 300 miles a year for five years because of her attitude 
and she wanted to make, I mean, hell, she, she saw this race in runner's world when she was 10, you know, <laughs> right. that's gonna, that's gonna feed, feed a good attitude, uh, you know, till I'm blue in the face. <laughs> so Dana, oh, yeah. what, what Andy says about that, it, 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 but your attitude is, is impressive and, and approaching that. And, and I love the joke about did you mean this workout for Brittany Peterson? Is it, did you get our emails mixed up? Is this supposed to go to someone else? Was there something that Andy had you do that maybe changed the way you look at training? Great question. I mean, I really never looked at training before, <laughs> before working with AJW. I mean, I would literally just recreationally jog extremely slowly to blow off steam. So just a testament to AJW, which I know that I am so lucky to have him as a coach and that the, the reason that I have AJW is because I got drawn in that raffle for Western States. Um, but he is so passionate that it's infectious and also the fact that he took me from three to 500 miles a year to, I don't know, it's July and I've run I don't know, like 11, 1200 miles this year without injury, I think built a lot of trust. I mean, I never had an overuse injury. He was really in tune with just training load and had a scientific approach. Um, so really it opened my eyes to the periodized training and just the whole science of really improving and I've never felt more fit in my life in terms of, of running. I mean, it's been an amazing experience for sure. I, I will say, I will say that Dana did get a little banged up after Zion and had to spend like a week doing like uh, elliptical workouts in the gym and stuff. And, and some of those text messages were like, I, I thought she was ready to jump off a bridge or something <laughs> when, uh, when, and that, and as Ryan, as you know, even if you live in Kentucky and Tennessee and, and Pennsylvania, like the three of us do, you got to do the heat training. Mm-hmm. And when I when I sent Dana off to the sauna, <laughs> oh. I will say that 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 definitely tested her attitude uh, just a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> yeah, there was some point where I started communicating with AJW mostly in memes. And so I think I sent him like the Elmo and Hell meme and you know, it was all sorts of stuff like that that I'm sure he didn't appreciate. <laughs> That's awesome. What an incredible journey so far. But here you are. You know, you're 10 years old. You see you and I I love the the picture of the dingy magazines in the bathroom because yes, how was that sanitary? How did we not all die? Disgusting. <laughs> right. What's disgusting? What do you think about? But you find that runner's world, you, you see that picture, and now here you are. From 1991, now it's 2022. You're in Olympic Valley amongst all of these incredible athletes. And there's the starting line, the starting line of Western States at Olympic Valley. Andy's there somewhere doing something. You can hear him in the background because anytime Andy's within 100 feet of anybody, you'll hear him more than anybody else because his voice just carries. And there you are at the start line. What did it feel like to be there? The hype is the hype is an understatement. I mean, it's it's electric. In fact, What's wild is that you look up the escarpment and think, okay, everyone's going to jog this far and start walking at the first light pole. The whole field levitates up the first 200 feet of that climb. I mean, it's insane. It's just so filled with energy because these are all people who probably like me have been wanting to do this for so long and 
have worked way harder than I worked to get to that start line, didn't have that luck. So it's just this real mix of hype and electricity and just insane. And the gun goes, it's so funny before the gun goes off. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been yeah, I've crewed and paced it twice. I've never run it. And boy, I would love to start buying lottery tickets. I may have to start doing that. But it's interesting to see at the start, you got people warming up. You've got athletes running up the hill and back down that there's people warming up for 100. That's a sight to see as well. That wasn't me. I was like, I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need every second. I think chip and, and clock time don't matter. I'm gonna stand here right at the front so I can slowly slug my way up the escarpment. So the gun goes off, and there you are, Dana. You are running the Western States 100. How does the first 20 miles go for you? So I think I've reflected a lot on my race, as you can imagine. And so I think my race has these four discrete sections. And the first section, the first probably 33 miles or something, I mean, it was incredible. It's the the marble and the groove is what I was. Mm -hmm. Um, Coming up the escarpment, I knew, I mean, I knew the altitude was going to affect me because I live at sea level. Right. Um, so I was, my goal was to kind of take it slow and just not spike my heart rate. I knew it would be a long day. AJW had lectured me a lot about, you know, just make sure you don't trash your quads, make sure you don't overdo it. in the very beginning, don't go out too fast. Um, now I wasn't DFL dead freaking last of the escarpment, but I think there were two guys behind me and they were both already limping. So I literally think I was third to last of, of the escarpment, but it didn't bother me because I thought, Hey, long day, all good. Um, but that high country, I mean, the wildflowers were beautiful and there was just this thrill of, Oh my gosh, I am actually running Western States. I'm actually here. It's happening. Um, I remember thinking Lion Ridge and Red Star, wow, this is going way too fast. Um, I don't, I want this to slow down. This is just, it was just a, it was just a group, a very slow, I don't even know, 17 miles, 16, 17 minute mile group, but my groove. You would you hear at any point, do you hear the voice of Andy Jones Wilkins yelling at you to slow down at some point? No, I was moving pretty slow, so I think it was all right. <laughs> or speed up. So I definitely didn't go out too fast. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, one if I could jump in, one yeah, thing about the hype, uh, uh, Ryan and and Dana, because she's relatively inexperienced. Um, you know, she signed up for some tune-up races, you know, in 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 Tennessee and Kentucky and so forth in the winter and spring, and really battled pre-race jitters. Uh, like like nerves, like in her stomach, and I was like, "Oh my god!" If if she's battling pre race jitters at Joe Schmo's fifty k in Kentucky, I can only imagine how she's going to be, you know, at Olympic Valley. But because we talked through it, and because she embraced it, you know, just the way she did, it was so great to hear her describe that the the hype and the start in in Olympic Valley because. While I'm sure there were jitters there, the fact that we had talked through those jitters at Joe Schmo's 50K in Kentucky 
made it a lot better when it all when 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 like game time came okay let's let's just pause for a second here and and kind of address this because i think this is something that you never hear talked about in podcasts and i know it's something that affects a lot of people some people just don't like to race i know a guy who is an incredible athlete but he does not like what racing does to him so he does not race this is a guy who could win races if he entered. He just doesn't like what it does to him. He doesn't like the, what the race environment provides, and so he doesn't participate. You find that you're having like like actual physical manifestations of stress before these fifty k's. What was that? What was that like? Yeah. So I love I love racing. I love the racing environment. It's just the night before and sometimes a couple nights before i just get really nervous which is hilarious nothing's riding on this to ajw's point it's the dip doo-doo 50k and no one cares kentucky so um but it's it's a bummer i think a lot of people don't get a good night's sleep the night before a race and especially a race like western states but um ajw i mean to his credit he made me race. I mean, I don't know how many races I've done over the past eight months that we've been working together, six, seven. I mean, yeah. he just said, you're going to race. You're going to do multiple 50 Ks, a 50 miler, a hundred K. You're just going to do it so that it's not this novel thing that sparks all the you know new anxiety. Um, so it really did work. I mean, I was still very nervous ahead of Western States, but Nothing crazy. So Andy, yeah, but at least at least you didn't start puking until you were supposed to. Yeah, it wasn't nerves. It wasn't puking. <laughs> right, from right nerves. exactly. And and I think that's I think that's the key for people to get over the hype of the. I mean, if you, I said to Dana, look, you're just going to have to sign up for a lot of races, and then you know it's going to cost you a little extra money, and you're going to have to travel a little bit, but you're going to have catered cater to long runs and you're going to dial in your pace and your gear and your equipment and so forth. So like that helped. And I think when the hype came and she faces the escarpment and goes up there and then obviously by the time you got over it and you're in the high country, all those butterflies are gone. And I, I, I'd say that to any Western States athlete, if, if, if you or anybody who's in a high, like a, a high profile race that takes multiple years to get into control what you can control. And one thing you can control is your pre-race nerves by like practicing dealing with pre-race nerves before race day comes. And that's what Dana did. And so when race day came, sure, she was still nervous, but she wasn't like paralyzingly nervous. And that's that's the key. So your thought, Andy, when you heard about this, you know, from this athlete, you're like, oh, they saw a picture of a buckle when they were 10 years old and they've run 300 miles basically a year. And now I get to train this person in Western States who won a ticket uh, in the raffle, but has crippling nerves before races. <laughs> I mean, that that's a really interesting so your decision. So you must have made a decision at some point. How am I going to oh, get this my, my, over my, this? The, the, the first thing I needed, uh, that was absolutely the top of the list. I needed Dana to get over that. Right. Because like Maslow's hierarchy, right, if, if you're scared, if you're scared of anything, then you're not going to be able to execute anything else. She's not going to be able to execute nutrition. She's not going to be able to execute taking care of her feet. She's not going to be able to execute proper pacing, dealing with her crew, all that stuff. So it was like I wanted to make sure that like to remove the fear. 
I mean, I, I think there's a big difference between being scared and being nervous, mm-hmm. right? Being nervous is okay. We, we, we get nervous before a job interview. We get nervous before, you know, we shoot a foul shot to win the game. And we get scared if we like drive into the wrong neighborhood or something. I didn't want, I didn't want Dana to go to Olympic Valley and be scared. So my, 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 my rationale was that was like, practice being scared as much as possible and if starting a race i mean we even she did one race i can't remember when it was probably march and she was like yeah i still had the bad pre-race jitters i was like well you're signing up for another one in two weeks <laughs> you know and it was there was still room it was some rinky dink thing in kentucky there's a lot of those by the way no knock on kentucky there's great races in kentucky right. but if, if you want to race every week you can race and get in like the night before right and so it was just I was like, yep, let's do it again. Let's, you know, and, and, and Dana, I mean, this, I give her credit. She was driving to these things, getting the hotel the night before schlepping there and doing all this stuff. But I mean, I think it got, it got us over that part where like, we weren't even talking about pre-race nerves before Western States. Like that, that part had been taken care of. So we could talk about pacing and nutrition and foot care and quads and all the other stuff you have to take care of at Western States. You kicked her into the deep end of the pool is essentially how you approached it really. I I think she kicked herself into the deep end of the pool. (laughs) I just tried to keep her buoyant for a little while. (laughs) Well, and I'm super excited about racing again because I'm pretty sure I'll have now I'm going to sleep beautifully before every race because my, the worst nightmare of any ultra runner happened to me. I get up to Western <laughs> State. There's nothing else to be nervous about. It's over. I think I'm just going to be calm and collected from now on. Did you find though, that as the first race that you do with Andy's training, you're, you're having this anxiety and he keeps pushing you and pushing you and pushing you to race. Was there a point when when it did become normal to you and you were like, oh, this is just the thing that I do and you found that the nerves just disappeared? Yeah, they, I mean, they never disappeared completely, Which, but I think they went from being very nervous to just being sort of normal every day. Most runners get a little nervousness mm-hmm. before the race. But um, no, I trusted the process and really it went from – you know, every race I did, it got a little better. So it was definitely an incremental progression that worked really well. Danny, how, how, how many athletes do you think percentage wise, and there's really no way to hold you to any accuracy here, but do you think what Dana was dealing with is something that affects a lot of runners in our sport? Yeah, I do. I, and I, and I think it affects them in different, and, and, and it affects them by the way, at all levels from the most elite to the you know, the, the, the middle and back of the Packers. I think, I think one of the, the part that affects them the most is the unknown, mm-hmm. right? There's just something. So I've never gone this far. I don't know what the course is like. I don't know what food's going to be at the aid stations. I, I don't want to be last place. I mean, there's all kinds of almost irrational childhood fears that come back in that, in the crucible of that moment. And so I think each athlete deals with it differently. And I think being able to, like for Dana and I, being able to actually have honest and open and sincere conversations about why why you're feeling this way. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm not going to make it go away, right? I'm right. just going to create, I'm going to attempt to create circumstances that allow it to be less of an issue moving forward. And so, but honestly, Ryan, I think... I think, I mean, honestly, I think, well, first of all, I think if you're not a little bit nervous before a big race like Western States, then 
then you probably have no business being there. Like you, I mean, I ran it 10 times and even right up to my 10th time, I felt pretty confident I was going to finish and finish well, but I was still nervous. I mean, it was still like, hey, this is Western States. You got to put up and shut up on the day. Right. And that's kind of a big deal, right? So, I mean, that should that should make you nervous, but it should make you good nervous. Mm-hmm. Like the nervous that 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 makes the synapses in your brain fire rather than shuts you down and makes you want to stay in bed for three days. Gotcha. Very good stuff. And the cool thing about, by the way, if you were scared of coming in dead last, I think Western States is the one race, race where you would want to come in dead last because you'll get more applause than the person who wins the race. <laughs> beautiful isn't it <laughs> it's yes, the truth it is, it is the it is the one race where the last finisher gets twice as many cheers as the first no because i was talking about this with uh because i had i had the adventure jogger race team on peter morgan and eric fritz and kyle Curtin, and we did kind of a, a round table about what their experience at western states and kyle who finished 14th at western states this year talked about how nobody cares if you're 14th place there's nobody there like there's there's a very little fanfare, and then that golden hour finish. The gold, like if you're not finishing top ten, you kind of want to finish in the golden hour because that's that's the place where everybody gets the cheers and the hurrah and the and the big to do. No doubt. And Dana was right there, darn close. Right there. So back to the <laughs> race. One percent. <laughs> right. Just just <laughs> one and a half miles. Uh, so Dana, first thirty miles go really well. You feel like a awesome. marble in that groove. Okay, on to the next section. Right. Okay. So I've been nailing my nutrition, nailing my hydration. Life was good. Came into Robinson Flat. Saw my crew. Um, there was a bunch of snowmelt in the high country. So, you know, changed shoes and socks because it was everything was really wet. Um, felt fine. A couple miles out of Robinson Flat. I, I, I lost it for the first time and just and puked. No big deal. I mean, that's not super uncommon for me. So mm-hmm. I didn't really let it affect me or didn't really, you know, nothing really came of it. Um, but then the slow progression of what I call the loosening of the drain plug to my soul happened. It was just, I couldn't eat or drink anything without puking. Um, so then I come into the devil's thumb high climb, which, oh my gosh, devil's thumb. You cannot imagine some of these climbs without having done them. I mean, it's not the rollers in Kentucky. And I on paper, I knew they were going to be really hard, but... It just, it was, it was very hard. So I came up double thumb, didn't have a lot of calories, if any. And I remember rolling into the aid station and for some reason I took my left shoe and sock off and it was this, you know, white macerated cadaver foot that was just sitting there with one shoe and sock off. And this aid station worker saint came up to me and you all, he was talking to me like I was a very unreasonable child or a crazy person. <laughs> like he was just like that pity and that. And I thought, oh man, I'm in bad shape. This guy is literally talking to me like this is no good. Um, but I rallied out of there. He was great. I ate a little bit of broth. And then it just, it just kept getting worse and worse. Michigan Bluff was the last place I was really able to eat anything solid. And I just spent all night, probably seven hours, um, not PG 13 puking. I mean, it was 
like eviscerating your organs, like basically just, <laughs> but I kept eating and drinking. Um, I picked up my cousin, Paul as my pacer. And we literally spent hours and hours and hours troubleshooting thinking I kept eating. Cause I knew I had to keep trying, but nothing was really working. I couldn't really get fluids down. It was just pretty awful. Actually. Do you think it was the heat? Because I mean, that it's a different heat than what we have here in Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, I feel like my heat training was really on point and I had an ice bandana and I had ice sleeves and I never really felt hot. I think AJW said this, I'm going to steal it. I think it was death by a thousand cuts. I think it was the altitude. I think it was the fact that I don't know that my body has ever moved up climbs like that. There, there really are none in the East. I think it was the heat probably added, but it definitely wasn't primary. I think I was pretty prepared for the heat from, I don't know how many hours of my life I spent in the sauna, probably 40. I don't know. That you're never going to get back. I'll never get this back. <laughs> so, so, Andy, you're at Forest Hill, seeing your eight athletes run through Forest Hill and, and to see it and assess how they're doing. And then Dana comes through forest hill <laughs> then there's me then there's dana tell us about no she was she was so yeah i mean i mean as we expected she was the eighth of my eight athletes to come through but she came through with plenty of time on the clock she was able to get her feet taken care of uh, they have a great foot crew there at michigan bluff she was able to get something down she was able to pick up um her pay her cousin who was her pacer who was he's just awesome mm -hmm. and he was i mean i probably spent three hours with him kind of talking through the course and and where they could maybe make up time and where they couldn't so i mean when when they left michigan bluff with 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 a a reasonable amount of time on the clock probably 30 minutes 30, 30 to 40 minute cushion on the cutoffs i thought you know now that it's dark and it's cooling off that that we we we, we would have um you know we'd have a shot at it and yeah. And and to Dana's credit, she moved steadily through. Um, I was getting the, you know, getting the feedback from, from her crew, and uh, and and it was it was I think at that point, and Dana's probably better to speak to this more. Like after the river crossing, so that's for those of you listening, that's mile seventy eight. You have a big climb coming up to Greengate, and then if you can run, you still have a lot of runnable. If you can't run, you're going to be kind of on the edge. Um, talk us through, like, when you got to the river, was it, it was still dark at the river, right? Yeah, it was still dark at the river. So cross the river, and I think, I mean, it's foggy because you're sleep deprived and have run 78 miles or whatever. But shortly after that, um, things took a turn for the better. I could suddenly, well, I could, I could suddenly eat saltines if I held them in my mouth with a tiny bit of water and then just gummed them down. And that sort of set a basin that I could drink and eat again. And the sun came up. And so there was this period where all of a sudden things seemed better. Um, my cousin Paul and I started really trying to make up time. So really more, a little more aggressively for me, which is still very slow running the flats and the downhills and somewhere around uh, that climb out of Greengate is when I recognized that my legs were more tired than 
they were pretty fatigued on the uphills. So I did, that did start to not necessarily get in my head, but I recognized, wow. I mean, my legs are feeling pretty beat, but it's, you know, mile 80. So that's probably pretty normal. Um, but, but really the last segment, um, we got to pointed rocks and had been making some good time. Um, I thought, I thought we had it. I think, I don't know how much time I had at pointed rocks. I'll, I'll, I'll jump in here. So, so Jason Coop, who's a colleague of mine at CTS, was at Pointed Rocks. I was at the finish line. And, and you, you and Paul and Jason talked and you guys did the math of, or at least Paul and Jason did the math of what the per mile you would need to do. You, you, you left Pointed Rocks at 9.14 a.m. The finish is at 11. Um, and so you had an hour and 40 minutes to go six and a half miles, which in, in, in your mind, you think, oh, you know, yeah. I can, I can do that. I can do six and a half miles in an hour and 40 minutes. And, and that's exactly what I, I tweeted back or I texted back to Coop and I said, oh, oh, you know, she obviously Dana's going to be one of the golden hour finishers, but, but, but I think she's got it in the bag at this point. And, and then, I mean, then stuff happens. I mean, and and we've seen just just to so everyone knows there were there were six runners in Dana's situation that that cleared that cleared pointed rocks so mile ninety four with plenty of room under the cutoffs and didn't make it to the finish. I will say there's a couple factors that have nothing to do with the athletes themselves. It was a really hot second day. Ryan, you'll remember this from last year, which was a really hot year. When the second day gets hot and it gets hot quickly, right? Because Auburn is really low, and that and and the athletes have no reserves to pull on. You know that that th- those twenty minute miles can quickly become twenty eight minute miles just because that second day heat is bad. Uh, not to mention the fact that there is no longer an aid station at No Hands Bridge. So you have to leave pointed rocks with everything. And I think, Dana, I think it's okay for me to say this. You you and Paul made kind of a, a fundamental mistake, which in your in your haste to get through pointed rocks, you didn't top off your water. So that water was going to have to take you all the way to Roby Point, which is four miles, which in the grand scheme of things isn't that much. But for the last, you know, in, mile, in the 90-ish miles of Western states is going to take you an hour to an hour and 20 minutes and you need water for that especially as the heat of the day is spiking so those i think were two of like the of the thousand cuts those were kind of the deepest cuts uh that came at absolutely the wrong time for dana that we couldn't as a coach athlete have planned for but no doubt undoubtedly are like the learn from experiences um that make me think the next time dana gets a stimulus check she should buy a bunch <laughs> more <rapid. laughs> not topping off my water at pointed rocks was a fatal flaw i i can't i can't believe i mean the decision making at that point was just so terrible i was out of water almost immediately after leaving pointed rocks and i remember touching my pack and thinking 
oh, it's full. No, I was just delusional. There was nothing in there. It was such a dumb mistake. Rookie move for sure. So you're, you've got the time though. And that's the thing. I mean, we were talking about that. You're, you're in, a, in a mental space going like, oh, I, I'm starting to smell the barn. Yeah, good. That's you great. know, that, that buckle that I saw in runner's world all those years ago, I will soon have a, 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 a copy of said buckle on my belt as you work your way from Pointed Rocks to Roby Point, and there is a big climb up to up to Roby Point, when did the joy of I've got an hour and forty minutes to go six miles go to this ain't happening? I my mental state was never uh, this isn't happening until the. It literally wasn't happening. I mean, it didn't get in my head at the beginning of Roby Point, which was just an insane climb. And it was so hot and I had no water. And it was just, I think the depletion of the night, not having eaten and drank for all those hours and and then not taking a minute and trying to kind of recharge those calories. It just, it just all caught up to me. And I remember, I don't know how long the climb up Roby Point is. It felt like an eternity, an eternity. I was in heaven. I'm at Pointed Rocks with so much time. I was in hell. I mean, I, I don't even remember how long it was, but I just, what happened was there, you know, the, the bonk that you hear about, this is something else. I mean, it was, if a bonk is like a one out of a hundred, I feel like I hit the 100. I just, I mean, I started going slower and slower and I started weaving and I couldn't think of my feet. And then it was just, it was, it was as though I was made of lead. My mind couldn't move my body one more mile. I mean, what? Unbelievable. So no, it didn't get in my head. I don't have enough time. I remember looking at my watch when I realized it wasn't going to happen and thinking, man, that's, that's actually crazy. <laughs> so did you have to get, someone had to tell you at Roby Point. Someone's like, okay, you're done. No, I didn't make it to Roby Point. I think my, I think my, so my cousin is a military guy and I think he was, he might has, we joke he has one feeling. I think his feeling might've been twitching because <laughs> I told him, I said, you go on, I'm going to creep up this hill, you know, cause we had people waiting for us to yeah. run in. And so I, um, some people were sweeping and um, kind of walked me up to Roby point after 11 o'clock. I'd already missed the cutoff. So how does that feel knowing that you were, less than two miles from that buckle. I mean, not many people get the gift of truly understanding what physical rock bottom is, but Ryan, I got that gift at Western States. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, yeah. Bummer. Really? So is it something that it took a while to process? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think in the moment it was so unbelievable that no, I, I I don't think I was actually processing it. I was really dehydrated. Um, I actually went to the medic tent just to kind of check kidney function and super just, I think I was just in a dehydration hole and things like that. So, but yeah, over the next few days was when I thought, did that really happen? If I could stand at that start line tomorrow, with my fitness from Saturday, from I, I could have finished the race, but no one could have told me anything. I had to learn it. Like there was no advice that would have changed how the day went. I don't think so. It was just 
experience. I mean, I think experience running ultras, I had never seen the course before. So, um, I mean, I could handle it, but it was just all new. So I think, I think if I get a second chance, it's going to be an a hundred percent slam dunk, but it wasn't this time. So everybody, I need you to write your congressman and your senators and ask for another <laughs> stimulus check so we can get Dana back into Western States so she can take all the lessons, totally. all the hard lessons learned and, and, and try to get that buckle. What is the one thing other than making sure that you had water? And and that's yeah. one of those things where you thought you did. I mean, you were in a mental state where, nice. and that, that kind of, that's one of those things about the, the downside of the pack, right? Where you, when you've got the, the water right. bottles yeah. that you can see and feel, you know that what's in them, but that pack can be a little deceiving. And, you know, Coop didn't see that there was no water in there. Your pacer didn't see that there was no water in there. Only you would really know. So other than that, right. what is one thing, one lesson that you learned from your, your failure at Western States and a glorious one that it was um, that, that you'll take with you as you continue running ultras? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think the biggest lesson I learned that if is that if you are in a high stakes race like Western States, if you're lucky enough to be privileged to tow that line, get out there Memorial Day training weekend. If you can't make that uh, weekend of course preview, make time to go out there on your own because knowing what you're up against and the brutality and the beauty of that course, you you can't read it in a recap. You have to live it. And I think that is a huge factor in success. Andy? I think that uh, one of the things that I was most, was and am most impressed with uh, Dana's um, recovery from this race is that so many, so many ultra runners, when confronted with a situation like this, um, go so emotional, go so feel, go so psychological. And it was, it was probably six hours after this whole thing happened that Dana flipped to the intellectual and started thinking about the death by a thousand cuts, the little decisions that we do. What we do is very emotional. You you have to be in tune with how you feel and and how you are reacting to circumstances. But then what you do with what happens to you, I think requires you to get in your head. And Dana immediately got in her head. I mean, by the time she was out of that medical tent and getting ready to go home and came to see, came to stop by um, and visit with me a little bit the next day. I mean, it, she was already thinking about what, what she could do better, what she could do to make it more of an experience, whether it's this race or another race. And I think ultimately for me as a coach and a person who's been going to Western States for 22 years, that's what this story is a lesson to me is take what the day gives you and move forward from it. You know, right now, Dana's got her head down. She's thinking about her 2023 race calendar and every, I mean, raffle tickets, notwithstanding, like she's moving forward. She's an ultra runner now, you know, and, and that's a, that's, yes, she has, she has a a place on her mantle for that buckle, you know, and it's going to stay, it's going to stay vacant until she gets that buckle, but but she's going to get it. You know, she's going to get it, whether it's next year, five years, 10 years. 
she's going to get that. And I have a hundred percent confidence in that. And that's not the case with everybody. Um, but you know, again, going back to Dana's attitude, you've heard it here as we've conversed, you know, yes, I screwed up. I should have topped off on my water. I was delirious. It's nobody's fault. She's not having a pity party about it, but I can damn well promise you it's not going to happen again. No, never. Well, and that was well said, AJW. And I just want to say, I mean, it's probably really hard to believe, but I wouldn't, I would not trade the last year for a belt buckle. I have, I mean, not to get sappy, but uh, I mean, this Western States journey has given me so much. I mean, the two biggest things are, I always thought, hey, I don't have time to spend this many hours running because my life was always very two dimensional. It was like a coin. It had, I invested my whole self into my work in conservation, which gives me a lot of joy. And then whatever was left, I invested in, you know, equally important family, extended family obligations. And so ultra running has ended up creating the scenario where instead of a coin, I have this pyramid and ultra running is the foundation and it makes me better in everything. And it's just the time in the mountains and the time that I spend, you know, without technology and all that stuff, it's just so beneficial. Um, And then the other thing is, you know, this year has been a year of huge feels. I mean, the elation of getting drawn on Western States, having AJW as my coach. I mean, after I finished with my starstruckness, you know, (laughs) um, being at Western States, being a part of the magic. I mean, it's an institution, just incredible. And then the epic, you know, disappointment and heartbreak. I mean, my biggest fear is of becoming a 21st century robot where you just you get up and you run and you go to work and you deal with the small problems and you go to the grocery store and you pay your bills and you hit repeat and there's no big feels this past year, man. Let me tell you, I've not been a 21st century robot, so it's I wouldn't trade it, even though I shot the bed at Roby Point. (laughs) I think we got to end on that. No better way to say it. Dana Baxley, what a story. Andy Jones Wilkins, always great to have you on. Dana, I can't wait. When you do get that buckle, you got to come back on, okay? It's a deal, Ryan. All right. You heard it here first, folks. AdventureJogger.com for those back episodes I talked about. There's also gear on there. We even have bucket hats now. Yeah. I bet Jim Walmsley wants to wear one of those bad boys. We are 100% listener supported. You can make a monthly pledge on our Patreon page. Just search The Adventure Jogger on Patreon or go to theadventurejogger.com. Join the community on Facebook and Instagram by searching The Adventure Jogger. And subscribe to The Adventure Jogger wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. 